Um, so this morning we're going to continue in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles there. Um, we'll be in the first uh, few verses again, um, a little bit after what we've been doing already. So uh, you can see in the text there, if you're, if you're open, um, this letter opens, as all, Paul, all, all Paul's letters do, um, with a greeting. Um, in this case, it's to the people uh, in the church of Philippi. That's why we got the, the name Philippians. And um, this greeting is where Paul introduces himself as a servant or slave of Christ and states who the letter is addressed to, which are to all the saints and believers in the local church there, including the elders and the deacons who are with the people. And then the last time I spoke to you, we studied what it meant to have grace. This is in verse 2. Um, we say what it meant to have grace and peace that only comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, as Philippians 1, 2 says. Can everybody hear me? All right? Okay. We saw that the very definition of grace means that every blessing and every perfect gift can only come from God. But these are not on the basis of any merit that we would have, but purely out of his perfect and righteous love. You cannot earn this favor with God, but there are things that please him and displease him. But the favor by which you're regenerated and justified, adopted, sanctified, and glorified, the salvation and everlasting joy that can only come through union with Christ is a gift which you can't earn. This gift of salvation, which you understand you cannot earn, also brings peace and joy in all things and in all situations. This is what we see in Paul. So Paul has just finished this greeting in verses 1 and 2, and where he expresses his desire for people to experience this grace or unmerited favor of God and the peace that comes from knowing the saving grace of their Lord. And this is our Lord as well. So you see, Paul, had, Paul has this too, has this peace and this love for his brothers. So I want to bring up an important point here. We're going to fork off just for a second. Um, and as I thought about this, so this letter um, we're reading is more than just a letter to um, just one friend to another or one friend to another group of people, right? It's the inspired word of God. So God breathed into this man who is writing for us to read. So and this means that as, as, it is as if Christ is writing this to us. So the grace that Paul is asking that they experience, it's as if Christ is asking that. Right? Do you see this? And so when we get to the thanksgiving and prayer in a minute, just down a little bit further, and later on the instructions for the church, and this will be weeks later, so you must understand that this is Christ himself saying these things. It's as if he's saying these things to us. And this has been preserved for us to read so this is, again, this is just as like Christ is saying this to you. And this is true of all scripture. So, of course, you have to be careful, and of course, careful application is required for these words that are spoken to us. But don't forget that these words actually are spoken to you. So we're going to continue to build on this, on this chapter, verse by verse, this chapter one. Um, but keep in your mind, and as we go through, you know, the rest of, of this, uh, this letter that Paul writes, um, keep in your mind that this is God's holy word that's spoken to you, even though it's 
you know, it, it, physically it's from a man to another group of people. Okay, so with that in mind, um, let's stand if you're able, and I'll, and I'll read the, the passage for today. This is God's holy word that's been uh, written for us. So this is Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 3 through 8 today. Starting in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning, um, we ask that your mercy be upon our worship. Um, as John said, it, it can never be perfect, but we strive um, to worship you with all that we have. Let us be attentive this morning. Speak through me. And let the people hear. And let them be encouraged and uplifted by what you have to say. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so I think we, we've covered this the last couple times too, but I just want to just repeat it just a little bit. So um, let's look back for just a, a few minutes at the circumstances which we find Paul in. Um, so he writes this letter because I think it's useful... Um, to understand the context of where he is um, so that we, we get that in the writing through what he's experiencing. So he had already been jailed briefly in Philippi. You remember the first time he was in Philippi, he was jailed there uh, with Silas. Um, and this is in Acts 16. Um, and then sometime later in Acts 28, this is roughly where we believe, it's not exactly perfect, but it's roughly where we believe um, you know, the, the timelines kind of line up where Acts is kind of finishing and then probably, you know, he's writing this letter about the same time. Um, so sometime later in Acts 28, we find him uh, locked up in Rome uh, where he's unable to preach the gospel except to visitors or to kind of whichever guard, you know, Roman guard that's assigned to him. Um, and of course, he's able to write letters and, or have them transcribed, that kind of thing. Um, and so as we look at this entire letter, over the next several months, just, just keep this in perspective where he is. He's, he's basically chained to a Roman soldier, right, under kind of house arrest, not really able to see a lot of people. Um, and, uh, you know, he, that's not really like a sweet spot, I was kind of thinking, you know, from a, from a physical perspective, being under house arrest, kind of like that. And so um, when we look in these two verses of the passage, so starting in, in verse 3, we understand that from Acts or from Acts, that Paul has already been in contact with these people in, uh, in Philippi. You know, this is a number of years earlier. So when he says, I thank God in remembrance of you, it's because he, is, he already has fond memories of the people um, in this church at Philippi who he met, you know, some time ago. And so reading this section, section of the letter in a vacuum, you wouldn't realize that Paul's situation is basically being jailed, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't realize it by the words he's using. So he only speaks about his thankfulness to God and his joy for the memory and apparent continuation of their support 
in the spread of the gospel. Um, and since Paul, you know, had originally been there. These are the people like Lydia and the man usually we would call the Philippian jailer. And as Acts uh, 16 and verse 40 calls out, and all the other brothers that were there with him, or with them. So these are people who have come to follow Christ and evidently, based on Paul's writing, have been instruments of God in spreading the gospel in this area. So this church, you know, they started with a group of people and apparently it's grown a little bit. These, are also, these also include some uh, people such as the women and men mentioned in chapter 4 of this same letter to this church at Philippi. So the first takeaway from this section is Paul's attitude in spite of his situation. You see, this attitude only comes from one who has true peace and joy that can be found in God and the perfect sacrificial love of Jesus, just as I said to you last time, this grace, right? So we see this also repeated in Psalms a lot of times when you look at David's uh, situation. Um, so I was looking at Psalm 27, if you want to flip over there with me, um, if you have your Bibles out. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me and eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me under his shelter, hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the, the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And so you see the, compare, or the comparison here is very similar. This is of a man who has, has peace in all apparent adversity because he knows that there is nothing God could not ordain. So just as Romans 8.28 says, that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we'll get into this a little bit later, but it, it may be difficult to understand the workings of our providential God, but we must trust his promises. Just think about this again. What does this trust or peace that we hear from Paul or David have to do with our view of God? Did Paul end up in prison by chance? Either time. Or is God really trying hard to break him out? He's trying hard to break him out of jail? Are the bars just too strong? Don't you remember what happened when Paul and Silas were jailed in Philippi? So we're going to go back to Acts 16 again. And so here they are just tossed in jail um, right before verse 25. And it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. So then do you remember what happened after this? The Philippian jailer came to faith in Christ and was baptized. You see, there's nothing that stops the Lord our God from achieving his purpose. There's nothing that is a surprise for him. Just as Paul says that through his jailing in Rome, at the time of the writing of this letter, in verse 12 of chapter 1 here in Philippians, 
It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me re- has happened to me really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So do you have this kind of trust and peace that only comes through the faith in a sovereign God? This God is under no one's authority. His will cannot be thwarted or modified. He does what he pleases. So do you have this peace this morning? Have you only trusted in Christ? Or are you trying to gain peace and joy through security of your own means or your own effort? Are you building wealth or possessions? Watching what you eat or exercising to the point that your body is an idol to youth? So you can live longer, live forever? Don't you know that tonight your life may be required of you? And what shall you say to your Lord then? Will you be like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 that Matt just preached about a few weeks ago? You're caught in the middle of tearing your own barns down so that you could build larger ones. Or will you be satisfied with Christ alone? Satisfied with his blessing of whatever circumstances you find yourself in? And for this blessing I speak of is a blessing of grace and peace that can only, that cannot be stripped from you, whether you find yourself sick or imprisoned like Paul, or you're even persecuted or killed. It is a blessing of life in Christ. Will you mark your prayers with joy, as Paul did in verse 4? Look back at verse 4. Will you find yourself in prayer for your brothers and sisters more than you find yourself even in front of a television or Facebook? More than shopping for clothes or shoes or making sure even, this is me, making sure that your house is spotless? I'm serious. This is true. So I want to read here for a moment from the Valley of Vision. Um, this, you know, Valley of Vision is not like our Bible or anything, but it's, it's helpful in, in understanding the right attitude um, to approach God. And this is about prayer. O God of the open ear, teach me to live by prayer as well as by providence for myself, soul, body, children, family, church. Give me a heart frameable to thy will so that I might live, so might I live in prayer and honor thee being kept from evil, known and unknown. Help me to see the sin that accompanies all that I do and the good I can distill from everything. Let me know that the work of prayer is to bring thy will to thine, to bring my will to thine, and that without this it is folly to pray. When I try to bring thy will to mine, it is to command Christ and to be above him and wiser than he. This is my sin and pride. I can only succeed when I pray according to the pre to thy precept and promise, and to be done, and to be done with as it as it pleases thee, according to thy sovereign will. When thou commandest me to pray for pardon, peace, brokenness, it is because thou wilt give me the thing promised, for thy glory, as well as for my good. Help me not only to desire small things, but with holy boldness to desire great things for thy people, for myself. That they might, that they and I might live to show Thy glory. It's the purpose of all of us, and this is why you live. You understand that. 
And this is why God has given you life. And more specifically, a new life in Christ. So this leads to the second point that I want you to see this morning. And it comes from picking up in in verse 5 in this chapter 1 of Philippians. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So you picture this. Here's Paul thinking of these people he's very fond of in Philippi, where he's jailed. Um, And he's praying so often, verse 4 says, that he's literally thanking God for them in every prayer. So I don't know if I'm taking this too literally, but understand my point. So just imagine the, the breadth of Paul's prayers, right? If he's praying so often. And how often have you prayed for people that you've met years ago? That you've been doing it in every prayer that you have? So I think this shows us the frequency and quantity of Paul's prayers. Think about how many others he must be praying for also. How many other brothers and sisters in places, in his travels that he's been praying for. But the main point I want to stress here is Paul's feeling toward these people. And I think his prayer life reflects his fondness of these people, as well as the strength of his words in verse 8, which say, How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, you have to remember, Paul is Jewish, right? Like, super, like, really Jewish. And he describes himself in Philippians 3 as Hebrew of Hebrews. So he goes into this whole thing, right? And so there, have been, there may have been some Jews in this church, but most likely it was primarily Greeks or Gentiles. And these people, right, are very ethnically different than Paul. And obviously when you read this, right, he's correcting some of the, their behavior. And so obviously they're, they're imperfect, just like us. Um, and so, you know, he's correcting these, these church members, like as I mentioned before in, in chapter 4, um, I think they're, it kind of looks like they're arguing, basically. Um, and it's affecting you know, their worship and, and other things like that. Um, but yet, even in spite of this, he's still thankful for their partnership in the gospel. And he's trusting that God will continue to sanctify them, receiving grace together with him, as he says in verse 7. So the second point is the affection that Paul has for these brothers and sisters that are imperfect, and culturally, they're very different from himself. So he grew up Jewish, right? So the question to us then, as we adapt this to our life with other believers, is this. Are you able to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in spite of their differences from you? Do you long or do you you yearn to be with God's people? As Paul says in verse 8, or are there this couple of people always that seem to creep under your skin a little bit? And not just talking about adults, right? So sure, there are scriptural interpretations that we may see differently from time to time or, you know, for whatever other disagreements that we might have. But I'm also talking about those people who are created in the the image of God. They're created by him who just happen to be a lot older or a lot younger than you, right? Or even people with different ethnic backgrounds. So do you welcome these people into your meetings? Would they be welcome here, for example? Are you genuinely glad to see these people that God has created for his glory? Or do you simply just tolerate them? They might move a little slower, or might move, in my case, my children, might move a little faster than you. Um, They might make a little bit more noise, or even, you know, babies might cry a little bit. Um, But, you know, just look at the words that Paul has, and he's using here. He yearns for the people of God 
with the affection of Christ. So consider this today as you look around the room. What kind of attitude are you here with, with your brothers and sisters? Do you find joy? Or should you, you should find joy within the gospel partnership you have with these people here. Okay, so now I want to turn our focus to verse 6 for a few minutes, and then I'm going to try to bring, bring all this back together. Okay, so let's read verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's pick, I'm going to be kind of particular here, let's pick this verse apart word by word because it's important that we understand. So if we look back at verse 5 for a second, um, Paul starts talking about the time when he was first met these people. And some of them were converted at that time, right? Philippian jailer, others. Hence the phrase, from the first day until now. So he's talking about you know, this, this time period that's passed. So he continues in verse 6 to talk about their conversion using the connecting phrase, and I am sure of this. And this is speaking about what additionally occurred after what was started on the first day. So you move on to the second part of the sentence, and that says, that he who began a good work in you. And who are we talking about? That who. So the word in Greek here is also translated as the one who. And that one is God. And so what is this good work? This is the partnership in the gospel in verse 5, and this is the partaking with me of grace in verse 7. So this is the regeneration of the Spirit accomplished by none other than the grace of God, which leads to salvation. It means that God is the one who begins the work of regeneration that allows the faith which is necessary for salvation. So you flip over to Romans chapter 8 with me. I told you I'd go back to here. And this is in verse, verses 29 and 30. For those he, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. These are our brothers, right? And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. Called is the key word here. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which says, But you are a chosen race, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so you remember last time we we spoke about grace um, and what it means to be called out of death or called out of darkness, right, into life or light, right? It means that you were dead and nothing other than God alone can, can bring you back from that, right? So it is solely by the will of God and not our own merit that this salvation comes. God's grace and his calling are necessary to be called into salvation, but we must simply believe that the punishment of, by God that was ours to be taken, this is the gospel, this is core, this punishment was ours to be taken by Jesus Christ, a spotless lamb. Right. So Jesus took that for us. So we've established that this is God who begins the good work of salvation or regeneration of the soul. So let's step back into verse 6 in Philippians to see that not only does God start the work of salvation, but that the ones in whom the work is started, the verse here says that he will bring that work to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So what does it mean 
to complete the work in you that was started. What does that mean? So there are several doctrines at play in this verse here. Um, the first is what's known as progressive sanctification. So sanctification just means being spiritually set apart or different or holy. So have you ever thought about what holy means? So the definition just means being dedicated to God, or when referring to God himself, it would mean like uh, being God's revered, right? Or he's worthy of worship because of some spiritual purity that he has. This is what holy means. But when we speak to God beginning a work in you and completing it, the completion is the final gift of a new body free of the effects of sin and death. So as Christians, this is our hope. You understand, when we say the hope that we have, this is our hope. What we've been longing for our entire lives, which is to finally be fully free from the wages of sin and become fully sanctified as an adopted brother in Christ's work within a glorified or Christ-like body. So 1 John 3, verse 2 says that we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So if you believe in Christ as your Savior and you confess his authority over you with your mouth, you are already spiritually free. You understand that God sees you spiritually free from the wages of sin, which is eternal torment in hell. You're free from that already. But in this final glorified body, you will also be physically free from the effects of sin. So this is our hope. Um, and ad lib here for a second, but have you ever asked somebody this this week? But have you ever wept over your sin? Have you ever have, and you you feel that that weight of your sin? This is what we'll be free of, right? There'll be no more tears about this, right? Okay, so First Corinthians. 15, starting in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So this is Paul again. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body that we have must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, and this is from Isaiah 25 and Hosea 13, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this progressive sanctification just means that the work is started by God toward glorification or having a body like Christ after his resurrection, right? You see, Christ didn't, there's things that which he did physically after his resurrection, but they weren't all the, the same, right, as, as our body now. Um, and so there's this work that goes on, you know, whereby in this progressive sanctification, whereby you are becoming more and more free from the condemnation of sin in your life. And sometimes more slowly or sometimes more quickly, being conformed to Christ until the last day, either your life or when he comes back. And then that is when this work is completed. And so there's a saying for this, right, that you may have heard, and it's, and it's, it's not that you're sinless now, but it's 
that you sin less, right? You sin fewer and fewer times day by day, hopefully. So in light of this, understanding that the true person who's been regenerated, right, is moving more and more toward this full sanctification and full glorification in Christ. And so we need to examine our own lives. So are you living more and more each day under the authority of Scripture in your lives? Did you make a profession of faith a long time ago? And is there any change until now? You must be aware of this, for it may be a sign that there was no regeneration at all, if there has been no change. So you must examine yourself this morning. We must. We all must. So now notice what we learn by looking at Philippians 1, verse 6 again, back through Romans 8.29. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we learn that this good work that he began you, being predestined and called, you are then justified, adopted, and finally you're glorified. This is the completed work of God in you, which you should have unceasing joy about. There is no interrupting this work of a sovereign God. This is a second doctrine found in Philippians 1.6, and this is known as the perseverance of the saints. And this simply means that the, one, the ones truly chosen by God, truly regenerated and justified, will persist in their faith, being progressively sanctified more and more by the Spirit, and day by day until the end when they are found righteous in Christ and given glorified bodies. And so does this mean that once you're saved, you can just go on doing whatever you want, like whatever sinful behavior you want? May it never be. For Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Romans 6.16, I'll put these together. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one who you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So today we don't have the opportunity to, to talk about right, assurance completely, the assurance of your salvation. Where, where do we get that, or how do we know that? But I just gave you a small sample of what it means to be assured of a glorified, sin-free existence Right later. If the true joy of your salvation is causing you more and more to present yourself as a slave in obedience to Christ, for he says, whoever loves me will keep my commands. And you're persevering and confessing this obedience faithfully until the end of your life. You are assured that you will be found faithful. That's our assurance. And finally, the takeaway from all of this is that in the midst of these people around you, sitting in these pews today, you'll find people in different places within their sanctification, right? Some people have just been regenerated, right? Some may, like, like little children, have not been, right? Even some adults here have been, maybe not been regenerated yet, not asked Christ to be master of their lives. But my questions for you are these this morning. Do you look at imperfect Christians, even in this congregation, and take joy from the gospel partnership you have with them as Paul is doing here in Philippians. Do you, do you take joy in this gospel partnership you have with them? And joy in any circumstances, no matter how you're feeling on a day or maybe what they've done. 
Or is your joy dependent on your situation? Do you mark frequent prayers with thankfulness, thankfulness for these people? Are you trusting that God will continue to sanctify them and yourself and ultimately be glorified with Christ in the last day? All of you will be. Are you aware that you are in need of God's grace as much as anyone else? None of us can save ourselves. And even in spite of any possible differences you may have with your brothers and sisters here, do you yearn to spend time with them with the affection of Christ Jesus, as Paul says. So with that, let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word today. And um, I know that um, your word, when spoken and read, does not fall in deaf ears. Lord, I ask that you, you affect each one of us from these words that, that you've given us. May we go today and the rest um, of even our lives here with these people and other brothers and sisters who, who may be in different denominations. Um, they're striving to, uh, to please you um, with obedience. Um, may we see them truly as brothers and sisters um, just in Christ. Right? We're all to, to have union with him. And Lord, again, I thank you for, for the, each people, or each of the people here. Um, may each one of them be found in your grace at the end of their lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Um,